0: invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, if you've been with us during the summer when I've been here and and, uh, and had the opportunity to preach, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But one of the things that we have been doing here for, at least since uh, we came back from COVID, uh, is the the first Sunday of each month when we are coming to the table, uh, we set aside our, our present series and we turn our attention to a passage that helps prepare us to come to this table uh, we move from being normally what we would call a word-centered uh, worship service to a table-centered worship service, and so our focus is preparing our hearts to come and to receive the grace that is promised to those who come by faith to participate at the table of the Lord. Uh, and so that's what we want to do today with this passage that is familiar for some of you, uh, maybe less so for others. Second Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9 this morning. Uh, with our focus being on verse 9. Hear the word of our God His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection." And brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come before you, we honor you not only with songs and acknowledgement of the truth of that you have revealed to us of who you are and who you are to who we are in you we honor by giving our ears to you as well as our minds and our hearts that we may hear your voice speak through the word that you have recorded by the same spirit who inspired who is speaking to us as well even through that which i highlight i pray lord that you would speak to us and that you would show us our own hearts Not that we would despair, but that we be made whole. Meet us wherever we are, for we are many, and we come uh, with different conditions, uh, emotionally, relationally, uh, and spiritually. But you who brings life to the dead, you who created all things and is, is in the process of making all things new, Lord, we pray that you would make us new, that you would draw us into your presence, that we would have the joy of the fellowship that is ours in Christ and because of Christ. Lord, renew us in heart and mind, and therefore life, to the glory of your grace and the joy that you have prepared for your people. This we pray in the incomparable name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. I am not a gardener. I have never been a gardener, but I do know that the fruitfulness of any garden is directly linked to the quality of the soil into which the seed is planted. So I know this, beside not even though I've never been a gardener, because but you know in part perhaps because I saw the movie Grapes, Grapes of Wrath with uh, Henry Ford. I even read the book. And on top of all of that, I actually spent my first two years of high school living in Oklahoma, where they made me read the book for English class, and then they made me study the Dust Bowl era for Oklahoma history. And so I don't know a whole lot about gardening, but I know that the soil is very important. And without good soil, you don't get good fruit. One of the things that's really amazing about this particular passage, there's a lot of things that uh, kind of poured out to us and all worthy of our consideration, is that uh, Peter is reminding us that that which is true in our gardens and in, in our farmlands is also true of spiritual vitality. That regardless how great the seed may be, that if the soil of our hearts, the soil of our souls is not good, if it is not prepared, uh, then the fruitfulness that uh, should come with good seed is hindered, stunted, and sometimes uh, non existent. Now, when. Peter begins this passage, he begins with this incredible and, and wonderful promise. He says, look, we have everything we need for life and godliness in this world. Uh, and that's what he, he says as we, we begin the passage in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, he, what that promise is meaning to us is that Everything that you need to be the person that you want to be, everything that you need to live the life that God has laid out and designed for you to live and to enjoy that life, you already have that. I already have that. It's not like a video game that if we achieve a certain level, then we get the next key that maybe would... Everything that you need has already been given to you. It has been given to you through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he continues to talk about in, in the next few verses. Uh, because he talks about in the knowledge of Christ. It's our relationship with Christ. These things that we need are in Christ, and we receive them, we appropriate them by our union with Christ that comes by believing in God's promise, in the person of Jesus, and the work that he accomplished on our behalf. Uh, There is... Everything is given. This is the, this this truth that he begins, that Peter begins with in this passage. We might call the the seed of the garden of our souls, and then he moves on in the next few verses, and he tells us that we are to also cultivate that seed within our own souls, kind of like the, the farmer's almanac that is given to novice uh, gardeners and farmers, and saying, "Plant here and do these things." Peter Peter does that, and as we look in in these verses, beginning at, picking up in verse five we read this, for this very reason, for the reason of the, of the proclamation of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, you have everything you need that is yours in Christ. Because that is true, Peter goes on, he says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. What he's saying is that there are truths uh, that are part of the gospel, and that we are to cultivate that truth by cultivating these characteristics, adding and relating these things, these characteristics, these virtues, this this fruit. Uh, We cultivate that in light of the promises of the gospel. We cultivate those by reminding ourselves of the truth of, of the gospel. Because there's a need not just to throw the seed into the soil, but there is a need for us to cultivate. That's just the, the the spiritual process that God has designed for us to, in order to grow and to be seeing more of the fruit. And so as he begins and saying, look, you have everything you need, you might be somebody who's saying, well, I might have everything I need. You know, I'll, I'll take you for your word for that, but I don't feel like I have everything I need. I don't have everything I want. I'm not the person I want to be. Life is not, you know, the way that I want it to be. So... So uh, I'll take that as one of those spiritual things that uh, the Bible says that I have to believe because the Bible says it, but it's not really been my experience. The reality is, as we cultivate, as Peter is telling us to do, we see more and more of these things growing in our lives, more fruit, and the result of that is more joy, closer fellowship that we feel with our God, the closer the fellowship, the more power we recognize, and the more joy that we are able to have. It's not just about believing a certain truth, but cultivating them in our lives and building our lives upon these premises. And then we begin to see what we desire to see. We begin to see what God has designed us to see. And so the foundation is the seed. Without the seed, we're not going to see these things, but even with the seed, if we don't cultivate them, it's quite possible that we don't see them. But for those who do cultivate, for those who see these fruits in in their own lives... Peter makes a great promise, we see in verse 8, "...for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." In other words, if these things are true of you, if the seed of the promise of the gospel, everything that is yours in Jesus Christ, and you're cultivating that by adding to your knowledge, you know, fellowship and love and self-control, the characteristics of this life, if the gospel begins to permeate every aspect of your life, it not only gives you more knowledge, but enables you to be fruitful in this life, seeing more fruit, more joy. And part of fruitfulness is not only what is, grows in your own life, but fruitfulness is the impact, the effect that you have in the lives of others who are around you, and maybe in the world as a whole. So Peter makes some tremendous promises. You and I have everything that we need. He gives us the farmer's almanac version of you know cultivate put these things do these things over and over and as you see these things growing in your life you have the assurance that you're seeing God at work and in you and through you but in verse 9 he he, he tells us something else and it it really is a a startling contrast because in verse 9 rather than emphasizing the promises uh, that come through through these the truth of our fellowship with Jesus he says something else. He said, "For whoever lacks these qualities, in other words, qualities that are to be cultivated, uh, the, the quality of, of faith and added, you know, in virtue and, and, and knowledge and self-control and steadfast, uh, those characteristics, if we're not seeing them growing in our lives, if they are not increasingly evident in our lives, if in fact, if maybe even if they seem to be lacking in our lives, he tells us that there's a reason why. He says this if." This, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In one sense, what Peter is saying is that no matter how great the soil, it is quite, no, how, how great the seed, that it is, it is quite possible for us to go through religious exercises and, and do certain things but the soil of our souls, the soil of our hearts, can be such that it is not going to produce the fruit that the seed ought to be producing. No matter how great the seed, if the soil itself is not fertile, it's not going to produce what the seed is designed to produce. And Peter is saying that in this particular passage here. And he's saying the reason that that happens is that there are some have become almost spiritually blind. He's, what he means by spiritually blind, he's saying that they're not seeing the big picture. They're nearsighted. They're focusing on on part of the picture. They're focusing on something. Perhaps they're focusing on themselves. Perhaps they're focusing only on their circumstance. Perhaps they're focusing only on learning the, the truth, but they're not really bearing fruit in, in their lives. But they're only seeing part of the picture of the promise of the gospel. And as a result of being so nearsighted, they're almost as if blind, and that blindness that he's talking about—that not seeing the big picture—tends to reduce or uh, suck the, uh, the the fertility out of out of the soil of our hearts. And he says and well, this is this is the foundational reason why you've forgotten that your sins have been forgiven. Now. He's not saying that you don't know that Jesus died, and he died for your sins, and intellectually that you would be able to answer that, that you're you know, not telling the truth when you declare, whether in song or when we confess our faith, that our hope is in Christ and in the historical facts. He's speaking of something that we talk about fairly frequently here, which is the difference between our functional faith and our confessional faith. And every one of us has a, a, we have things that we believe in, and we truly do believe in them. And it's because of God's grace to give us the gift to enable us to believe that we are saved and we have that relationship with him in the first place, uh, that our sins are forgiven. And that status doesn't change even when we become nearsighted and that we are forgetting that we call that the confessional faith we we know that's the doctrine that we believe we know that's our only hope we we believe that god is true to his promise but in any given moment we may or may not be appropriating those things that we claim to believe the illustration that i've used many times and i'll use again because it's a, a good one is this do you believe that god is in control do you believe that god is good Do you believe, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, that the Lord is working out all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose? And I would have to say yes in all of them. Most of you, all that I know that are here this morning, you would say yes, I do believe that. And now here's the other question Do you ever struggle with anxiety? Do you ever worry? Do you look at the news and you look at the world that's around us and you kind of think, what's, what's going to happen? What's happening here? The world is spinning out of control. You know, somebody needs to do something. You know, Lord, intervene because it, it doesn't seem like anything good is happening here. It may be even nearer to home, whether your work or your family or your relationships or you know, just some struggle with anxiety on a regular basis. Now, I want to be very clear here, there are different reasons for anxiety, and some of it is chemical, and so that's part of the brokenness of the world, and the brokenness in your life, and so I'm not trying to scold or shame anybody when that's the case, but I do think that there's a principle here that you probably have already anticipated, even if you've not heard me talk about this before, which is this, if you believe that God is good, and that God is in control, he's all-powerful, that he is working out all things for the good of those who love him, and are called according to his purpose, then why do you, and why do I worry about anything? Why is there be any reason for the children of God to experience anxiety? And the reason is, without rejecting the truths that God has revealed to us, we may not be appropriating them at any particular moment. And so even though we know God's in control, we know all these things, we're not appropriating them, and therefore we worry. We, we have this anxiety, and it's common to pretty much all of us. that's the difference between the confessional faith, that which we we know to be true, but the functional faith is what are we appropriating, what are we believing at this given moment? And what Peter's describing here is a situation of believers, and he is speaking to believers, who he says, uses the phrase, you've forgotten that your sins have been forgiven, and that's causing a lack of fruitfulness in, in your life. It's a lack of joy in your life. And this can happen in one of two ways. For some of you, this is a review because we've had this conversation. Uh, For others of you, this might be new. But there are two ways in which we can be prone to forget that our sins have been forgiven. Uh, The first is that we forget that our sins have been forgiven. I mean, we kind of know it, but we don't feel it. And a person who struggles in this way, that has forgotten or is not appropriating the, the truth of the promise that our sins have been forgiven, uh, would be somebody who is probably weighed down by by their guilt, perhaps regularly feeling angst and maybe even a spiritual depression. Wanting to honor God and and believing in God and wanting to glorify God with all their life, but just somehow God seems distant. And you just how in the world could God care about someone like me? Maybe that you feel the need to just try harder. Maybe if you just try harder that you will you'll feel that connection and, and these these uh, this anxiety will will subside. But if you've ever tried to do that, you know and you've experienced what author Jerry Bridges talks about as the, the performance treadmill. You try harder, you try harder, but it's like working on a treadmill. The faster you go, you still get nowhere fast. Because our lives, And our relationship with God is designed to be lived out by faith in the grace and the love of God that was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we know the truth of the promise that he's died and took our sins with him, but we hold to them. We hold on to that guilt. And as a result, it stifles the fruitfulness that could be in our lives. And there are many who are here that have wrestled with that, that wrestle with that on a regular basis, and maybe that's where you are right now. It's the first way in which we can forget that our sins have been forgiven. There's another way that's in some ways almost the exact opposite. It's... You've forgotten that you have sins that have been forgiven. In other words, you see only part of the picture, and the part of the picture is how good you are. You may not stand in front of the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? If you do, the answer that the mirror is saying is, it's not you, it's Jesus. But if you ever stood there and said that or have been inclined to say that, and that's the answer you got, then if this is your condition where you have forgotten you have sins that have been forgiven, you probably just learned. I don't ask the mirror of that question anymore. I'm not going to ask anybody who's going to give me an answer that I don't want to hear. And so you continue to focus on all the things that you do well. Now, there is a part that is commendable, and, and there are things that we all do well, and some of you do extraordinarily well. And I don't want to diminish that or discourage uh, the labors that you engage in for the sake of God's glory or the fellowship that you have with God. But those who forget that they have sins that have been forgiven tend to be very difficult for others to be around, except for others who are like them. There's a tendency of self-sufficiency. And with self-sufficiency... Often comes judgmentalism to those who don't quite measure up. And when there comes judgmentalism, there becomes hardened heart to the broken and to those who are around us, particularly if they ever try to infiltrate our churches. We're more than willing to have anybody come to our church. They just need to clean up and become like us first, right? And it makes sense, except that it's not the way of Jesus, and not one of us would ever have been allowed in if that's the way that Jesus functions. And so, that there are many that are in the church, and it certainly is true in our own church, that there are many who struggle with that issue of, you know, I try to be good and I'm pretty good. And you're not consciously aware of the fact that no matter how good you may truly be or how good you may think you are, you, like the person who's struggling with guilt, you're a sinner your only hope is that your sins have been forgiven because Jesus took them upon himself. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. And then your hope is that he rose again, defeating death and giving life to all who believe. Not only do we stand forgiven, but we stand equal in, in the sense before the cross because Jesus Christ died there for us. And so the the challenge for us, what Peter's warning here for you and for me is to take a look into our own souls and even to our own lives. Are these characteristics, are these fruits that he's talking about in verses 5 through uh, 7 particularly, are they evident in our lives? Are they increasing in our lives? Are they abundant in our lives? And if not, then we need to ask ourselves, is it possible that whether falling one to the right or to the left, I'm forgetting that I am a sinner whose sins have been forgiven because of the love and grace of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. Every one of us needs to ask ourselves that question. We need to take this spiritual inventory. It's something we need to take on a regular basis, but as we're preparing to come to the table, and particularly we need to take this inventory, and the reason we need to do that is because the remedy for spiritual amnesia, the remedy for being one who has who's forgotten that their sins have been forgiven is very simple in one sense. It's remembering. It's remembering who we are and how we became who we are. We are the children of God, not because we have earned it, not because of anything special about us. We are children of God because God in his mercy has chosen a people and he has sent his son to die to redeem a people for the praise and his glory. And the only way fruit comes into our life, the only way joy comes into our life is when we live without understanding. It's not to wallow us down if you feel good. It's not to make you feel worse if you feel bad. It's to recognize what true love is that comes from God and what Christ has done for us and who we are and what he is doing in his people when we rest in him and our identity is found in him and our hope is found in him, when he is our all-in-all and not our Aflac policy, we add him on when we feel bad when we feel we need it. But he's everything. The remedy is to embrace the mindset of one of my favorite writers from, uh, from the previous generation, and that's John Newton, who says this. Although my memory is fading... I remember two things, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior.